Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I was about um, 20 years old or so when I got my first freelance job. I was an animation student in Dallas, Texas, when I received a phone call from a stranger. He explained that he uh, was a supporter of my school and that he had been given my name by the office. He was a poet, and he wanted to create animations for his poetry. And I was intrigued, so I agreed to meet with him. And after we brainstormed for a while, I took the job And he was beyond excited, even though I was a little nervous. So I went home and I got straight to work. The problem was, I had not been taking classes for very long. And from the very beginning, I was in over my head. Well, he emailed me daily requesting updates for weeks. And I was too proud to tell him that I had no idea what it was that I was doing. He started to grow impatient, understandably, and eventually his emails became angry. And finally, he had had enough, and he sent me uh, one long email about how disappointed he was in me and how I had stained the image of my school. He was no longer going to give any money to the Art Institute of Dallas, he said. Of course, that was a little ridiculous. But I was crushed. It was my introduction to my professional career, and I had failed. I had disappointed my very first client. Well, have you ever had this experience before? The experience of uh, facing the expectation of someone else who had expectations of you, only to realize that you're going to eventually disappoint them and ruin their whole image of humanity. Well, sometimes I think we, uh, we, we think about God in this way, like he's some ancient client with unrealistic expectations on us. We just know at any moment we're going to disappoint him and let him down. It's only a matter of time before he fires us, and we're back to a graceless life, of forsakenness and backslidden shame. Well, I want to tell you tonight, this evening, that this is a lie. It is a lie. And just as God is well pleased with his beloved son, Jesus Christ, so is he well pleased with his adopted children, you and me. Well, our text this evening centers around one of the most significant events in the life of Jesus, his baptism. This was especially important to the early church because in this passage, we see all three persons of the Trinity. The Father speaks from heaven and testifies about his well-beloved Son, who is the one being baptized. The Holy Spirit then descends on the Son as a dove, as the text says. And it's a fascinating event, isn't it? 
Because it raises so many questions for us. Why was John baptizing in the first place? Why was Jesus baptized? And why a dove? Well, tonight I want us to focus on the last verse of our gospel text, which is verse 11, where God says, in the presence of many, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. You are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. The first thing I want us to see is that Jesus is the man. Jesus is the man. Last week, our text was from John chapter 1. And if you remember, I made a, a really big deal of the fact that Jesus was a whole person, body and soul. The incarnation of the word of God is important because as one early church theologian said, what is not assumed cannot be redeemed. What is not assumed cannot be redeemed. What he meant was that the logos or the word of God took on human flesh or assumed human flesh so as to redeem human flesh. Not just human flesh, but the whole human. Otherwise, God would not have needed to go to all the trouble of being born of a woman or being crucified on a cross. But since he did, and since he destroyed our greatest enemy, who is death, he also bodily rose from the grave. And as I keep saying, that this guarantees our bodily resurrection for all who are in him. So Jesus is a man. Not just any man. He is the man. He is the man with whom God is well pleased. Our psalm today mentions David. I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil. I have anointed him, as the text. And the psalm continues praising David. And we get the idea that God, David was God's favorite human being in the whole world. But we know that David failed on more than one occasion. We could say that he was a bit of a disappointment, wasn't he? For starters, he impregnated another man's wife and had the dude killed. So why this psalm is appointed for today is not so much to commend David to us as it is to point us to another example or another type of human being worth emulating. A hero of sorts. Have you ever had a hero? Well, the thing about heroes is they always seem to have some fatal flaw, don't they? Something that we don't or would rather not know about them. I've had many heroes over the years. Uh, for one example, um, is uh, I, I've been greatly helped by the uh, apologist Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias. Uh, he was very helpful for me as I tried to navigate how do I express and understand the faith the Christian faith in a world that is so hostile toward it. And God used his ministry 
to really help me think through this. But after his death in 2020, just a, a few years ago, it came to light that his life was actually not as worth emulating as we all thought. And this is heartbreaking. And that's just one disappointment among many, and I'm sure that you have your own. That's because even the best of us are flawed, just like David. At best, human beings can provide a flawed example of holiness or of righteousness or of justice or of wisdom, but never perfect. But the Son of the Father is the exception. Jesus is the man, meaning he is the fulfillment of all of our Davids, of all of our heroes. And as well-pleased as God might have been with David or with any one of us, it could never be a perfect pleasure. Disappointment is mingled with righteousness, but that's not so with Jesus. He is called, as Isaiah in our Old Testament passage, he was called in righteousness. He was without spot or without blemish. So why did he come forward for baptism? Well, because Jesus sanctifies our very humanity. Jesus is the man and he sanctifies our very humanity. The ritual of baptism was sort of associated with the ceremonial cleansings, the uh, cleansing rites that we find in the Old Testament. It wasn't quite the same thing. Now, we know that ceremonial washing of converts uh, to the Jewish community was a ritual that took place. But John's practice was somewhat of a novelty. See, John's message was one of repentance, which means that those who were flocking out to the wilderness to hear him had some conviction that humanity was prone to wander, sort of like the hymn says. This was controversial for the Jewish people because they, their observance of the law is what kept them from being sinners, or so they thought. But John's message was much more like the other prophets that had gone before him, like Ezekiel and the prophet Jeremiah, who had both said it wasn't enough to just undergo the rite of circumcision. One must also circumcise the heart. John's message of repentance was a call to this kind of inner circumcision or repentance. And to undergo John's baptism was to acknowledge one's failure to love God with all of one's heart and soul and mind. And that this failure invited God's judgment. So I ask again, why did Jesus come forward for baptism? Well, this is the question that John the Baptist struggled with himself. Matthew's gospel records a conversation with Jesus between Jesus and John as Jesus comes into the waters of baptism. John says, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? But Jesus replies to him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. 
You see, in his baptism, Jesus also acknowledges the sin of humanity and that God's judgment is upon us. However, unlike everyone else on the riverbank that day, Jesus does this on behalf of humanity. In other words, he accepts the judgment of God in our place. In stepping into the Jordan River and submitting himself to baptism, he is saying, may, it be, may I be held responsible for every human being who has acknowledged their sin and helplessness before our almighty judge. And in this one act, Jesus accepts his role in the salvation of humanity. And this one act, Jesus undergoes cleansing, not for his own sins, but that our head, our new Adam, that our hero might cleanse our very humanity in such a way that we can now also be baptized into him by his Holy Spirit. And this is why John said, I have baptized you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John is acknowledging that his baptism is inferior to Jesus, and inferior to what Jesus does, because only Jesus is himself holy, and only Jesus can offer his, sancti- his sanctity to others. So Jesus is the man in the sense that, or the, the, in the sense that he is the human being par excellence, and he undergoes baptism to sanctify our humanity. But this is not all. He does this so that we might too be at peace with his father. The baptism of Jesus alludes to many themes that we see throughout the Old Testament. But I think the most fascinating connection is between Jesus' baptism and the flood. Do you remember the story of Noah and the flood? The flood is a means of judgment upon humanity. You see, in the beginning, God's spirit hovered over the waters. And poetically, this is a Hebraic way of saying that God ruled over the water, which is a symbol of chaos. And in Genesis 1, we see God bringing order to chaos. And human life is the crown of the project of creation. But in the flood, God commands the waters to destroy almost all of life. We understand this as judgment, and it could be a pretty upsetting thing for us to think about. God told Noah, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Do you remember what happens at the end of the story? Noah sends out a dove in order to see if she can find land or a branch to perch on. And she finally brings back an olive branch to indicate that the waters were subsiding. They were going down. Judgment is over. And it has ended to communicate peace is possible. And that's why we have the phrase extending an olive branch. It means to communicate that one wishes to establish peace with another. And that's exactly what we see in the baptism of Jesus. 
Water, a symbol of judgment. To submit to baptism is to accept our participation in the wickedness and in the evil of the world. But when Jesus does so, he is the word spoken over the waters. That word is a word of forgiveness and of redemption. Jesus' baptism accepts responsibility for all of our participation in sin. He is baptized for us. But the descent of the Spirit comes like a dove. And it's to remind us that the end result of the flood is peace with God. Not only does the Spirit's landing on Jesus indicate that he is loved and accepted and pure and holy, but that this same Holy Spirit is available to hover over the chaos of our own selfishness, the chaos of our own rebellion against God, the chaos of our own sin. That God himself will sanctify us just as he is sanctity itself. Friends, Jesus is our peace because he is the well-beloved son of the Father. Because he is the perfect human being. And because a perfect human being now exists who is seated at the right hand of the Father, you and I can be united with him by his spirit. We now have peace with God as his adopted children. This is good news. This is the gospel. And we see every bit of it playing out here in the baptism of Jesus. Because he is the man. He sanctifies our very humanity and brings peace between God and man. Peace on earth. Goodwill to all. Brothers and sisters, I say all of this as an encouragement to you. There's no reason to fear disappointing God. Yes, we will struggle. We can struggle with sin. We will fall. We can fall from righteousness. We can disappoint others as well as ourselves. And we will. But the enemy, the devil, would love nothing more than for you to imagine God shaking his head in shame and saying, I died in vain, didn't I? But the devil's got it all wrong. For those who are in Christ, our sanctification has been guaranteed. Of course, this doesn't give us license to practice evil, but it does mean that we are well-pleasing to him. Why? Because we have been joined to, we have been covered in, we have been united with his well-beloved son in whom he is well-pleased. Jesus was baptized for us so that we could be baptized into him. God then is well-pleased with you because he's well-pleased with his son. In fact, It is because he loved you so much that he sent his beloved son in the first place. So keep following Jesus. Keep growing in the grace and the knowledge of him. 
Repent of your sins as John preached. But above all, let yourself be loved by God because you are his beloved and he is well pleased with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. And as we move through his life together, through the next several months, as we're reading the Gospels together, as we read your word together, we pray that you would encourage us, that we would see you as you are, and that you would take away all the lies of the enemy, and that we would know that we are well-loved by you. And if we ever doubt that for a single moment, we pray that you would bring the picture of Jesus being baptized, the picture of Jesus suffering on the cross, the picture of Jesus rising from the dead, a picture of Jesus coming back. Father, we pray that you would encourage us in this glorious news of the gospel and that it would so spill over us that we could encourage those around us who are also made in your image, who you are calling to yourself, and that we might faithfully proclaim the love of Jesus that we find in the gospel. And we pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.